Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. So the date was May 8th, 1976. It's about 44 years ago. How many of you were alive 44 years ago? Put your hands up. Let me see. Whew, bunch of old timers. How many of you weren't alive 44 years ago? Let me see your hands. How many of you have no idea if you were alive 44 years ago? It was uh, 1976. Gerald Ford was the president. We were coming out of the Watergate mess. We were coming out of the Vietnam mess. Gerald Ford was the president after Richard Nixon had resigned. And I was in a small meeting room, in a, in a small conference room in the Kingdom in 1976. It was a brand new building. Uh, the Mariners had never played a game there. The Seahawks had never played a game there yet. The very first thing that was to happen there was a Billy Graham crusade. And I was sitting in the conference room. There were about 20 of us. And I was sitting next to Billy Graham. That's right, me. <laughs> I was about 26 years old. I'd only been in ministry for about a year. I could not believe it. I, I think our knees even touched. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know that for a fact, but I have not washed this knee for <laughs> 45 years. And I'm sitting there next to Billy Graham, and, and it's the pre-conference, the pre-crusade meeting. His team had flown in the day before, and I was part of the steering committee, about a dozen of us who had been on, boots on the ground for about six months, and we'd been organizing, and we'd been promoting, and advertising, and, and lots of recruiting. We'd been recruiting um, ushers, and greeters, and safety team, and, and seat hosts, and and choir members from all across the Pacific Northwest that were going to be part of this great crusade with Billy Graham. Um, George Beverly Shea was there. You remember that name? And Johnny Cash was there with his wife, June Carter Cash, because they were going to be singing during the crusade. It was just an amazing experience for me as a young pastor. But but we were there, but mostly, you know, Billy Graham always does this the night before the crusades begin. He meets with the team, and, and uh, he shares a devotional, just a four-point devotional that was about 10 minutes long that was absolutely life-changing for me as a young pastor, as a, as a young dad and a husband. And, I, and someday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a sermon based on the four points that Billy Graham shared that day. It, it was absolutely so simple and so life-changing for me. But then there was a, there was a, after the devotion, there was a little Q&A. We were able to ask some questions, and, and one guy asked, he said, Dr. Graham, you, you, you do these things all over the world, literally. And by the time Dr. Graham retired, he had done over 400 crusades in 185 countries and world areas on six different continents. And the question was, as you go around, you know, every city is different. 
every venue is different. Every region is different. There must be huge logistical, operational kinds of challenges that you must face in preparation for a crusade. And so he said, well, what's, the question was, what's the key? How do you guys prepare for these crusades in so many different cities all across the world? And Dr. Graham paused and he thought, and he gave a thoughtful answer. He said, you know, we plan and prepare as if everything depends on us. And we pray as if everything depends on God. He said, that's an unbeatable combination. And then he paused. He stopped. And, 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 and you could see the wheels turning like he was almost reconsidering his answer. And a little smile came across his face and a little twinkle in his eye. And he said, but you know what? God's word and the power of prayer is the most unbeatable combination. He said, that is the greatest power. That is the greatest force in the universe. God's holy word and the power of prayer. And I thought he was going to go off and start the crusade right then. He just got really excited about that. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Tim preached on the, uh, on the first ingredient in Billy Graham's uh, little statement about God's Word and the power of prayer. You remember that sermon last Sunday? It was, it was powerful. It was strong. And remember at the end of that message, Pastor Tim invited us rather challenged us to commit ourselves, to align ourselves, to align our life and our actions to the truth in God's Word. Hundreds of us stood up. Many of you stood up and said, yes, I'm going to accept that challenge. I'm going to align my life, and I'm going to align my actions with the truth in this book. So that's what Pastor Tim preached about last Sunday, God's book, the Holy Bible. And this morning I want to explore with you the second part of that unbeatable combination, the second ingredient in the greatest force in the universe, according to my close friend Billy Graham, <laughs> the power of prayer. But you know, prayer it, it's kind of an interesting thing, prayer. It's and I think for some, it's a bit of a challenge and, and, and maybe a bit of an obstacle because isn't it true that from birth, we are taught to be independent? We're taught to be self-reliant. We're, we're taught to be self-sufficient. I, I, it's bred into us, I, I think especially out here in the, in the West. And it's that whole, I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody else's help. I, I, I got to stand on my own two feet. I got to pull up my boots with my own bootstraps. And, and there's no such thing as a free lunch. And, and if it's going to get done right, I'm going to have to do it. And we have this mentality. I can't rely on anyone else. I've got to be self-reliant. Wives, that's why your husband say, I'm not going to call the plumber. I can fix this myself. I can blow up this kitchen all by myself. Or I'm not going to stop and ask for directions. That's ridiculous. Me and Siri, we can get lost all by ourselves. 
But we have this, this attitude about self-reliance and independence and prayer kind of flies in the face of all that independent thinking. Prayer is, is an, an acknowledgement, an awareness that maybe I need a little help here. That it's a recognition that when I do try to do it on my own, more often than not, I mess it up. And things don't always go right in my life when I always do it on my own. And maybe we do need some help. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, the reality is that God's power flows primarily to people who pray. Have you experienced that? Um, now, I, I have to make a disclaimer right here because you're going to get shortchanged in this message today. Because you all have been in church long enough to know that every sermon, every good sermon has three points. And they all start with the same letter. You know, that whole alliteration thing. Well, you're getting shortchanged today because there's only one point in this sermon. And it's on the screen right now. God's power flows to people who pray. Now, I did get a lot of words in there with the same letter. And we can even flesh that out because in reality, God's presence and God's promises and God's peace as well as God's power flows primarily to people who pray. So I got that part right. But the Bible is absolutely full of scripture passages and examples and teachings that, that, that remind us that God is ready and willing and able to pour out his power in response to the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, somebody does. You know, the word prayer and pray is in, mentioned in the Bible about 375 times. From Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible, it's consistent throughout. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Pray. The Bible's constantly talking about it. So I thought it would be helpful this morning if we were to take those 375 verses and just kind of look them up and read them, and, and I'd like to share with you my thought. No, we're not going to do that. But there are a few examples that I'd like to bring your, to your attention this morning. The first one's in Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name that's us, folks. That's you or me. Yeah, that's you and me. We, we are his people. If we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he said, I will hear and I will forgive and I will heal. There's power in prayer. The next one says in Jeremiah, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. That's a promise. If you pray, God listens. If you pray, God hears your prayers. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Luke, Jesus said, so I say to you, ask. It'll be given. Seek, 
you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. This is a description of prayer. Everyone who asks, seeks, knocks. That's a connection with your heavenly Father. The next one says, Acts chapter 4, after they prayed, the place where they, meeting, where they were meeting was shaken. What happened first? The prayer came first before the shaking. Oftentimes, God's power as it flows to us is in response to our prayers because God's power flows primarily to people who pray. And if you're praying, things are going to happen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. The Bible says in James, and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we know from personal experience and from what the Bible teaches us that God's power can change circumstances. It can change the tone of relationships. It can help us face the daily struggles and challenges of life. It can heal emotional, psychological, relational, physical problems. It can remove hindrances and obstacles in our marriages. It can help us meet financial challenges. And prayer can change the tone and direction of our lives. God's power is awesome. But the opposite of that is also true. If you don't pray, you're going to miss out on the power. Prayerlessness equals oftentimes emptiness. You don't pray, you don't get the power. Friday was Valentine's Day. Pauline was fixing me a smoothie. Bless her heart. And she was in the kitchen working on this thing, and she put blackberries and blueberries and strawberries and banana, and that was all great. And then she started adding spinach and kale and kryptonite and, you know, whatever is supposed to make me healthy and whole and all this kind of stuff. And then she pushed the on button, and nothing happened. And I could see her in the kitchen, and she got all frustrated, like, is this thing broken? Why isn't this working? I was just thanking God that, that somehow she'd choked that thing to death and it just wouldn't work. But, but then she said, oh, it's not plugged into the power. And I went, oh, that'll preach. That'll preach. If you're not plugged into the power, I mean, your washer won't wash. Your dryer won't dry if you're not plugged into the power. Your Keurig won't cough up that first delicious cup of coffee in the morning if you're not plugged into the power. Your hot tub will become a cold tub if it's not plugged into the power. You can't watch that big game on TV on your big screen TV if it's not plugged into the power. And for all you California folks who have just moved up in here, your green electric car won't get down to the library in time for the Save the Planet rally if you haven't plugged into the power. Can I get an amen? God's power flows primarily to people who pray. And if you don't pray, you're going to miss out on the power. There's a wonderful story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, 
is, uh, is about Moses discovering again that there's power in prayer and there's power that God brings victory through prayer and he exhibits his power when people exercise the whole idea of prayer and calling out to God and reaching out to God. And I'm going to do that Pastor Tim thing and ask you to all stand here while we look at the scripture. You know why pastors do that? Is because about halfway through the sermon, you start nodding off. And if I make you stand up, the blood's going to flow again. Exodus 18. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Woohoo! But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Boo. Aaron and her hands grew tired. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. You may be seated. The Amalekites. I don't know if you've ever studied the Amalekites. They were descendants of Amalek, a grandson of Esau. They were a fierce, nomadic, out-of-control, wild tribe that lived in the desert region of the Dead Sea. They didn't plant crops. They didn't uh, set up uh, settlements. They, they didn't raise cattle. They existed by taking stuff from everybody else. They plundered. They were terrorists. Historians tell us, they t tells us that they killed for pleasure. They would just as soon kill you as invite you to breakfast. They were absolutely fierce murderers who knew how to fight. They fought and killed for a living. And these are the folks that had moved alongside the Israeli settlement. These, these guys were like, ISIS 4,000 years ago. They took everybody else's property. They killed for pleasure. This was, this was a desperate moment for the children of Israel. And so Moses calls his military leaders together, led by Captain Joshua. And Moses says, I, I, I've got a plan. I've got a battle plan. Uh, rather unorthodox battle plan, you know, didn't make much sense from a military standpoint. Moses said, Joshua, I want you to go out, take our men, I want you to fight the Amalekites, and I'm going to go up on the hill here with the, with the staff of God. Isn't that interesting that he didn't call it my staff, my shepherd's staff, the staff of God. You know why he called it that? Because this was the staff that Moses used when he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Moses said, why should I? And Moses threw this staff on the ground, the rod of God, threw it on the ground, it turned into a hissing snake. 
This, this is, this is the, the staff, the rod of God, that when Moses touched the Nile River, it turned into blood. And when he, when he touched the, the uh, Red Sea, it parted, and three million Israelite slaves freed from Egypt walked across on dry ground. And, and when they needed water, Moses hit the rock and water gushed out. This was not any ordinary, this was the rod of God. This was a hot rod. This was a hot rod. So he says, I'm going to take my God's staff, the hot rod, up to the mountaintop, and I'm going to watch this, this uh, battle take place, and I'm, I'm going to be praying for y'all. You know, back in Moses' day, and even in our day, you probably saw it happen this morning in the sanctuary, when people lift their hands... It's, it's uh, symbolic of praise and prayer. It's symbolic of calling out to God, reaching out to God, expressing your love for God and expressing your confidence in God and asking for God's help. And the Bible says as long as Moses was on that hillside with his hands raised in praise and prayer, what was happening? The Israelites were winning the battle, weren't they? The battle was going to the good guys. But, you know, I don't know how long a guy Moses' age can hold this, and he would lower it, and what would happen? The bad guys would start winning. I mean, it was just amazing. And, and Moses was doing this as long as he could because he wanted to win the battle and protect his people, but he got tired. And his arms got weary, and he put them down, so... So Aaron and Herb but a, got a big old rock and sat him down on it and said, come on, Moses, hold, we're going to help you. And one on one side and one on the other held his arms up and God's people were victorious. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of church. It reminds me of life groups. It reminds me of Bible study groups and prayer groups and Sunday school classes because God's power flows to people who pray. But sometimes people who pray get weary and they get tired and it gets hard and other folks come alongside them and they keep the arms up and they keep the prayers going and they support each other and they encourage each other and it makes a huge difference. This week, Pauline and I were facing a situation that, that um, was a real burden for us, and we'd been praying about it, and we'd been praying fervently and passionately and pouring our hearts out to God, and Pauline said, why don't we email our life group? And that's exactly what we did. We emailed our life group and said, you know, we're going through something, we could really use some prayer support. And man, my phone started blowing up. Ping, 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 ping. We're praying, Pastor Jerry. We're praying for you. We're praying for you and Pauline. We're praying for this situation. We, we're praying for the burden. And uh, such a peace came over me. And I didn't know how everything was going to turn out. But I knew that God was working. And that people were praying. And something was going to happen. And all things worked together for good to those who love God. And are crying out to him. And so within 24 hours, 
doesn't always happen like this for me or for Pauline or for all the prayers we pray. But within 24 hours, that issue was resolved. And we give God the glory. It's a beautiful picture of the church in action. God's power released in response to the prayers of God's people. And I, and I just, you know, we call out to God. We invite him to be involved in our daily challenges and, and in battles. Um, I, I read one time somebody, I think I skipped this. I'm going to go back to this. This was good. Hold on just a second. Have you still got that thing that says, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works? That's the deal. A prayer brings God into the equation. Prayer releases the power of God. So that's good stuff. I wanted you to know that. So we begin to pray, and God begins to pour out his power, and he does it in so many different miraculous ways that we don't always understand completely. You know, it, it may come in the form of wisdom. You, you know, you need direction. You, you need a decision to be made. You, you, you need some help, and, and you're just not coming up with it. And, and, and you pray, and God is faithful, and he gives you that idea that you need or that direction that you need or that decision that has to be made, and, and you sense him guiding and leading it may come in the form of courage. Courage more than you could ever muster on your own. A holy boldness to do the right thing for the right reason in the right spirit because you know God is moving you in that direction. Sometimes it's to overcome sin. I, I get choices in my life where if I go this way, I know I'm following God. And if I go this way, I know I'm not following God. And sometimes I need the courage to do the right thing for the right reason in the right spirit so I can stay on the right path. Sometimes it comes in the form of perseverance. Like, like, like Moses. You ever get tired? You ever get weary? You ever just feel like the battles, whew, it's tough. Sometimes things get really, really hard. And sometimes we're tempted to take a shortcut or to give up or to not finish or not do what we know we've been called to do. And, and you know, it'd be easier to just get in bed and pull the covers over your head and I don't want to mess with this. But God moves in with uncommon staying power and, and gives us the strength to hold steady and to coop, keep moving forward and one step in front of the other and following God because he loves us and he's got our back and he cares about us and he's going to hold things together if we'll stay faithful and steady. Sometimes it may come in the form of a, of a, of a changed attitude toward a spouse or a prodigal son or daughter or a parent or a co-worker or a neighbor or a relationship that's just not working. And somehow God begins to change our attitude as we pray. He gives us the ability to love and to forgive when I can't do it in my own strength. I don't even want to do it in my own strength. 
but I know it's the right thing to do. And so God begins to change my heart and change my attitude and enables me to extend grace when I don't want to. And it comes from God because I cry out to him and I pray and I ask for his help. It may come through changed circumstances. It may come through a healing, a physical healing, an emotional healing, a healed relationship. Our friend Ryan Roberts would tell you today that God healed him. Yeah, he used the doctors at Mayo Clinic, but he gives God all the glory and the praise. And in the midst of that, God changed Ryan's heart in so many ways and drew him up close it was a beautiful thing. However God works, you can be sure that God's power is released in the lives of people who pray. And I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss out on that power. Prayerless people cut themselves off from not only God's power, but from his presence and his promises and his peace that passes all understanding. I, I know good people who, who are just too busy to pray. They're doing good things, but they're too busy to pray. And if that's, and I've been there. I've been the guy who's too busy to pray. And that's when Satan has me right where he wants me. Because prayer cuts me off from the power and the peace and the presence and the promises of God. But you don't have to live like that. I don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. God wants us to cry out to him. 1 Peter. No, we're not there yet. I have to make one more disclaimer here. I'm calling you to prayer. I'm calling me to prayer. But prayer isn't always easy. It isn't always convenient. Sometimes it's hard work. Man, I see a lot of folks shaking their heads. You know what I'm talking about. Oswald Chambers, in his wonderful, wonderful devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says this. He says, prayer does not equip us for God's work. It is God's work. And prayer doesn't equip us for the battle. It is the battle. All of us face struggles and battles and things in our lives that Satan would love to use to just rip us apart. And the only thing that's going to keep us together is consistent, faithful, persistent prayer. But it isn't always easy. It's a discipline. It's a, it's a determination. It's a commitment. It's a recognition that I can't do it on my own. That I need God's help. Uh, there are times when I carry burdens I shouldn't be carrying. And God reminds me. Hey, cast all your cares on me. Because I care for you. So what, what would be on your list this morning? What are, what are you carrying that, 
God's whispering in your ear, hey, listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What do you need to leave at the foot of the cross this morning? What is it you need to lay down and pray up? Lay it down and pray it up. I, I know there's a list of things that I need to do to give to God and stop trying to do it on my own, stop trying to carry it all by myself. And, and when I do that, here's what, here's what happens. It's in Philippians chapter 4. It's a beautiful description. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I can tell you there's a lot more joy when you're plugged into the power than when you're not. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That's God's presence. The Lord is near. Emmanuel. God with us. Don't be anxious about anything. Whoa. You know what the only difference between worry and prayer is? It's who you're talking to. You know, if you're worried and anxious, you're probably talking to everybody else and a lot of negative self-talk, and it's not getting you anywhere. But when you're talking to God, God the problem solver, God the peacemaker, God the promise keeper, God whose grace is sufficient for every test or trial or temptation or burden that you're carrying. That's the only difference between prayer and worry is who you're talking to. So he says, don't be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What are your requests? Present them to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to take a step and to walk across the bridge this morning. I ran across this poem as I was preparing for this message. It says, There's a bridge whereof the span is rooted in the heart of man and it reaches without pile or rod unto the great white throne of God. Its traffic is in human size fervently lifted to the skies. It's the one pathway from despair and it is called the bridge of prayer. And and. I don't want you to walk out of here carrying the same junk you walked in with because you can, you can leave it at the foot of the cross this morning. You can allow the power and the presence and the peace of God to, to come into your situation as you cast your cares on Him. So these guys are going to sing a, a song, but this is our prayer time. And you, you know at our church the altar is always open and, and we've got the prayer room over here to my 
left and your right. And, you know, if it's more convenient or, or better for you to just stay seated or to kneel right at the chair where you're at or come up here and kneel, I, I, just, I just want you to use this time to allow the power of God to invade the situations you're dealing with and to replace it with his peace and his presence. So take a step of faith and walk across the bridge of prayer this morning.